Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is our first in partnership with Scala Radio. It's recorded in our virtual studio during lockdown. Today, I'll be speaking to two brilliant female composers who, between them, have worked on projects from The Full Monty to For Sama, Nanita Desai and Anne Dudley. I'll be speaking to them both about their work in film, what being a composer actually entails, and how things are changing for women in this male-dominated business. Our first guest works across TV and computer games, as well as film. She's been nominated for a Biffa for her score for For Sama, the Oscar-nominated documentary that won numerous awards, including BAFTAs, Biffas, and a London Critics Circle Film Award. It was also one of Scala Radio's top five film scores of 2019. Well, Nanita Desai, welcome to Girls on Film. Hello, thank you, Anna, for inviting me along. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, how is isolation going for you? Uh, well, you know, there's a running joke amongst the composer community that, you know, we, we are used to working in isolation. So welcome to our club. <laughs> yes, quite. I, I work from home usually as well. So it's not so much of adjustment as it is for some people. But yeah, I'd imagine you're stuck in a studio or willingly stuck in a studio for a lot of your day. I am, yes, uh, for many hours a day in the sunshine. I, I feel at home when it's when it's raining outside and uh, I don't feel so guilty about not being able to enjoy the sunshine. <laughs> well, we have a, a connection because um, we previously had the director, Wad Al-Khatib, on episode 20 of Girls on Film and she, of course, directed uh, For Sama, the extraordinary documentary bit about a young pregnant woman uh, documenting events in war-torn Aleppo. And you, of course, scored for summer. Massive congratulations for that. Thank you very much. Really tremendous work. How did you come to the project? Well, I was actually recommended by the sound designer on the film. Uh, Ed Watts, the co-director, was looking for a composer. And we'd never worked before, but he'd my work had been brought to his attention. And I, I got sent a few rough, raw cut scenes very very early on in the project and um, I went along for a meeting and I met Wad uh, which was a huge surprise to me because I'd seen a little bit of the film beforehand and I was it you know just just watching the raw footage it's it's so harrowing and powerful and incredible uh, material and um, and then so began my 18 month long journey on the on the film we we thought it would be a a one-hour documentary for for Channel 4, uh, editing for about seven or eight weeks, and it ended up being a marathon edit, which lasted 18 months. And it, I think I scored the film three times in three different ways. So it was a, there was a lot of soul-searching to find the true heart of the film, and, and and going on that process with the with the editors and the and and the directors and then uh, a long soul searching journey to find the musical heart of the film as well. It's such an emo- emotional watch, as you said. What kind of process and conversations did you have about 
getting the emotional impact out of that process without over-egging the pudding? Because obviously, I mean, the, the, the footage itself is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, so, well, well, the initial brief from the director was to write uh, a very rich Hollywood cinematic kind of score, something along, along the lines of... Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty, you know that 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 kind of score. Yes, and um, yeah. and so I wrote a lot of material. I wrote a lot of musical ideas and themes, over eighty themes um, b- during the early stages of the edit. And so the team were working with that material. But about four or five months into the edit, there was a pause and a hiatus. Uh, a lot of execs putting in their opinions and so on, and, mm. and you know having to please a lot of people. And so. When the decision was made to uh, change the narrative path of the film and make it a very intimate human story where uh, it's a love story and a love letter from a mother to a daughter, the film became much more intimate and uh, minimalist. And so the music that I'd written no longer worked. So I had to rewrite the music and strip things right back. And that was a long process going backwards and forwards. Um, And then I also brought in a Syrian violinist who's a refugee. For me, um, composing is a very immersive process. And I study and I research and I learn as much about the subject matter that I'm covering. So I I wanted to be as authentic as possible to the film and to be true to the film and be true to Wad's life story because I've never worked on a film where the protagonist in the film is also directing it and filming it and and then she's behind me through the whole editing process saying uh, on my shoulders saying Anita I'd like the music to be like this and me saying gosh you know this is this is a huge responsibility so so we stripped the music back and made it much more intimate um, to work with the, the new narrative of the film. Let's hear a clip. Now, you were also named uh, BAFTA Breakthrough Brit a while back. How did you break through into this industry? <laughs> you know, my, my career <laughs> has been a process of lucky breaks, I guess. And, and I've been breaking through for the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, that was a huge validation and a huge honour for me to be acknowledged by BAFTA, which was truly wonderful. And uh, um, so I I felt, you know, I mean, BAFTA are one of the cornerstones of the film industry in the UK. And and I've looked up to BAFTA for through my whole career. So so that was it it changed a lot for me. Um, I got because of I was put on the radar uh, and on the map of a lot of people's um, eyes and ears. So it opened up opportunities for me over the last uh, three, four years that I may not have been um, been able to get get onto. So I got offered a thing like a, an interactive feature film, which was which was quite exciting to work on, and uh, um, and just working on a few narrative uh, features over the last few years. And uh, it's it's been a, a fast, fantastic journey. Who would you say has influenced your work, if anyone, when you were sort of getting into the business? Do you know I had very, in terms of female 
role models. I had very, very few. And in fact, I um, the only female composer role models, and I'm honoured to be alongside you, is um, Anne Dudley, actually. And, um, uh, you know, going all the way back to the art of noise and uh, in terms of musical role models there were very few there were there were artists like Bjork and um who else uh um oh the violinist performance artist um I've forgotten her name now it'll come to me later on but Laurie Anderson, Laurie Anderson that's it thank you Anne <laughs> um so the people like that who were paving the way forward and working on the fringes and the edges of creativity and pushing pushing the boundaries so they really inspired me but I was in um I had I did have very few female role models I have to say but I I think as a composer I just do what you just do what you do at the end of the day I think you know your your passions and your 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 drive to be creative shouldn't stop you and I I did have hindrances along the way you know I had peer pressure and and social and cultural pressure to to not be a composer really? well, like, so for you know, what that, reason were people giving well I didn't study right. music I actually studied mathematics um and that was because of various social uh, and cultural pressures and and even my school said well you can't study music because you haven't done CSE or GCSE music and and yet I was immersed in music and learning instruments as a as a child and forming bands at school so so there were barriers but um, I was always a bit of a geek and a tomboy and I was very much into technology and computers. So I came into music through the engineering side and uh, I eventually I talked my way into being Peter Gabriel's assistant music engineer and that was that blew my mind at the time um, working with some of the greatest record producers like Daniel Lenoir and, and great engineers and great musicians. And then, so that, that was my way in to, um, one of my ways into the industry. That's fascinating. Thank you. And um, this is a great segue to welcome our next guest, Anne Dudley, one of your heroes. Welcome, Anne. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you with us on Girls on Film. How is isolation treating you at the moment? Oh, um, yes, much the same as ever. Um, can I, first of all, I'd just like to to, to, to add my congratulations to Nanita for, for Sama. Oh, thank you, Anne. Which I think it would have been so easy to have been over the top but it was dead right. And I think the film itself makes such an impact. I recommend it to absolutely everybody I speak to. And I don't know anybody who's watched it without being incredibly moved by Thank it. you, Anne. So I, I, I understand what it's like when you have to go over things several times mm. and revise things. And it's never easy. But what you came out with in the end is spectacular thank you yes so so back to isolation yes it's very much um business as usual we we work alone in our little ivory towers <laughs> and um you know we we await that wonderful moment when we can get to a studio and record real people um unfortunately that's the moment that doesn't doesn't seem to be uh, in any time near 
Um, so we're, you know, I've got a couple of things that I'm writing and absolutely no sessions in the book to be working towards. So it's a slightly strange experience in that respect. Oh, well, thank you for joining us to keep our isolated listeners company and I think they'll appreciate it. Um, so now you've obviously been in the business for a while. I, mean, I remember Art of Noise. How did you transition into film scoring? Um, well, going right back to the 1980s, I was in this group, Art of Noise, as you say, and we were a sort of avant-garde synth pop sampling whatever electronic band and but basically an instrumental group we used to do instrumental tracks and a lot of filmmakers picked up on our tracks and started using them for films for adverts for fashion shows all sorts of all, all sorts of things and um we got approached by several filmmakers to score films for them and um Eventually we did. We scored a film that nobody's ever heard of called Disorderlies. Actually, Mark Kermode has heard of Disorderlies and watched it, but it's a strange little film. But um, And that was the first thing, really. And being a sort of bit of an all-rounder, I was also doing arrangements for various people and I got involved in doing commercials because, again, in the 80s, especially the late 80s, early 90s, there were so many commercials being made in in Britain and it was said actually that the commercials were sometimes better than the programs in those days and some very distinguished di directors were making them Ridley Scott uh, Hugh Hudson mm -hmm. uh, so, so they were very ambitious little mini films which you know the challenge was you told and it quite sometimes a quite a complicated story in 40 50 60 seconds and the music had to do that as well. And so that discipline of writing to a very specific brief was something that I, that taught me a hell of a lot about actually making the music work and how you can get round difficult corners musically and make it all sound natural. Do you remember any specific film scenes that inspired you that you felt did it just perfectly? Well, I was very taken with um, Jerry Goldsmith's music when I was um, when I first became interested in film music, and I just loved his music for Basic Instinct. I mean, in many ways, it's quite a shabby little shocker, Basic Instinct, but Goldsmith's music sort of elevates it, and it's so elegant. And it really sort of defined that thriller genre in most beautiful orchestrations and beautiful way that he sort of slides these chords. And I remember hearing that and thinking, crikey, could I ever do anything as good as that? Let's have a clip from that. Yes, I used to. I used to listen a lot to the film music when I went to see the films. <laughs> I used to listen to the music probably more than I actually watched the picture. Um, and, and there were there were several. I, I also remember um, a particularly wonderful uh, John Williams score, which I, I talk about quite a lot because it's not one of his best known scores. It's the score to the Witches of Eastwick, which again elevated the film into something much more magical and more memorable. And it really gave it a terrific character. 
we've named two films that I actually enjoyed despite myself. So um, I think that's really interesting. I'll revisit them. Um, now you, of course, yourself have won an Oscar for The Full Monty. Uh, what are your memories of that night? Um, well, it was quite some time ago, so my memories are a bit vague. <laughs> I didn't, I, I actually didn't think I was going to win. I had prefer, pre- prepared a little bit of a speech just in case. But when they actually called my name, I thought I got, got this terrible imposter syndrome that you got. And I happen to be wearing these very high heels, as you do, you know, if you go to Hollywood, sure. you wear high heels. And I remember my entire time walking up to the stage was thinking, don't fall over, don't fall over. <laughs> <laughs> so that is rather vivid in my mind. And I'm pleased to say I didn't fall over. <laughs> that, I know exactly what you mean, because I go on stage at the Critics Circle Film Awards. And that's generally my main concern is how the hem of the dress works with the heels and how high <laughs> yeah, the steps exactly. are. And other, if you're up, up and down, then you're all fine. Yeah. But congratulations, by the way, on that. It's amazing. Thank you. Let's hear a clip. influenced your work I mean we talked a little bit about um, there's two films there but there is there any other particular composer that you'd like to highlight well classical composers really Um, I mean I had a fairly conventional musical education and I remember um, being absolutely blown away the first time I heard the firebird by Stravinsky the concerto for orchestra by Bartok these works of the 20th century continue to to sort of hold sway really in my mind and I sort of hold them up as models of how to use the orchestra. Um, but also, you know, I'm, I'm, it's loads of things really. I mean, I'm quite into jazz. I remember being very taken with Miles Davis's kind of blue and those wonderful pianists, Oscar Peterson, Art Tatum, the sort of inventiveness of that. And then I quite like pop music as well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to sort of get down and boogie to ABBA anytime, you know. I'm, Aren't we all? Uh, any music sort of get <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. Um, let's uh, talk a bit about the job of a composer now to you both, because obviously many film scores are iconic and beloved, uh, but the job of a composer often does go on scene. So I'd like to ask you both a little bit more about how it actually works. Um, and tell me, at what stage would you normally join a project? Well, it does vary, but normally you join the project at quite a late stage, probably after it's shot, in sometime during the editing process, when the editor starts to put music onto a picture. And what they generally do is they'll find music from other scores from classical music, from whatever. And they'll start putting music on the film, and this is what is called a temp score. Um, And then that gives them sometimes an idea of the direction that they want to go with the music. Um, And at that stage, they generally start calling around composers or looking at showreels, listening to showreels and sort of seeing what sort of thing that they want. it can be very difficult for a composer if a if an editor's found a temp score, A, that they really like, um, or B, that's completely wrong. Because if they really like it, then I'm sure Nanita's had the same experience, yeah. then it's very difficult for you to come in and do something different. And, you know, the, the worst thing that a composer can ever hear is, 
when you when you're sort of playing a director something they say oh what did the temp score do here <laughs> and it can be rather maddening because of course you can't go in and just sort of replicate the temp score that would be terrible um, and then if it's completely wrong they sort of start cutting the film sometimes and they don't they don't realize that the right music would actually mean that that scene could be a bit longer or all sorts of things so um it's an interesting process at that stage uh, and then then you, you then you come in and hopefully you know you, you start having conversations about what style of music and then really the you have a sort of specific sessions where you're going to sit with the film and look at it and what we call spot the music so you're literally spotting where the music should start where the music should end and trying to get a sense of the continuity of the music and that's that's the sort of first stage of the process interesting yeah and anita where take it from there where, where's what's the next process from you have you anything to add to that well i think you know it's it's very much it it's it when you get brought in varies from the sublime to the ridiculous so you know in something like for summer where the, the edit lasted 18 months and and as Anne said you get brought in at the beginning of the edit or the early stages of the edit but I like I like also like to be brought on very um, I'm quite often brought on very late into into the project as well so it is it's very fast turnaround but working under huge pressures like that are great because it doesn't give opportunities for experimentation. So you just have to work with the strengths of, with the with the constraints that are thrown at you. I mean, I I like to be brought on early. And Anne was talking about temp music using other uh, music as references, and that's that can be the bane of a composer's life quite often. But what I like to do is if I get brought on early enough, then uh, you create, you start writing ideas before the edit, and then you give the editor and the director that your music and they use your music as temp music. So when they fall in love with that, and uh, it, it's a it's a good thing because they've fallen in love with your own music, and they haven't fallen in love with, let's say, a track by Hans Zimmer or, or some such composer who spent uh, you know a hundred piece orchestra and spending six months working on it and you have a very short period of time on a low budget to to rescore the film so you have all these constraints I think um, as a composer you're a you're a psychologist and you're serving the film and you're serving the director's vision of their film um, so as a film composer you're you have to put your creative ego to one side to a certain degree and and serve what's right for the film and and the film's requirements um and then you're working within the restraints of <clears throat> the schedule or the budget so you determine whether you want uh, you have a budget for live musicians i always try and bring live musicians uh, to to my music because they add so much you know in terms of human warmth uh, and live nothing can beat live musicians as Anne was saying earlier in this time of the corona uh, COVID-19 period uh, it's caused uh, it's wreaked havoc on the music industry and the um, the livelihoods of, of musicians that we rely on 
And I, I hear, Nanita, that you've uh, made a database to try to help people get more work at this age. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I, I literally got a commission by Netflix to score a feature two days after the the lockdown in London in, in the UK. And the team said to me that they wanted a live orchestral score. And I said, well, with all the studios <laughs> and the musicians being shut down, I, I said very gently, I let them down and said it wouldn't be possible. And then I thought that the only way this would could possibly work was to bring in musicians that record themselves remotely. So I put a call out on Facebook and social media and Twitter uh, for some remote players uh, who could do this. And I got flooded with over three 350 responses from people saying that they could they could offer their services so I put together a list and it just became this massive database which now has a home on the Ivers Academy website so we have uh, about 480 people and I just thought I was being contacted by musicians who had lost their livelihoods, who had lost their work and their tours were cancelled. And I thought it'd be great to be able to put musicians in touch with composers and vice versa and generate some work for those musicians, hopefully, and, and for composers to find musicians in this, in this strange period of limbo that we're under. And, um, and it's doing ever so well. So it's just, I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to serve two different needs at this period of time bravo that's that's really lovely to be able to help other people that's marvelous work um and i wanted to come back to a little bit to um when we the listeners are and the viewers are watching a film is it true that the best scores are the ones that people don't actually really notice uh i think that's a fairly controversial um idea um how can I put it? If, it? if the music sort of, if you notice it too much and it intrudes and you think and you feel that it's actually interfering with the drama and the storytelling, then that's obviously a very bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think you should be aware of the music. You should have, an, the, the music should be part of the whole impression of the film. So when you come after the film, you remember the film and you remember the sound of the music as well. Um, so, so no, I don't entirely agree with that. But um, as, as I said, finding exactly the right tone is the challenge that we always face, and um, it's it's something that doesn't always. Sometimes it happens straight away, but it doesn't always happen straight away. I find it, it's very good for me to sort of live with live with the film for quite a few weeks before I really sort of nail it down. Um, I don't know how Ninita feels about this, but I very rarely, I sometimes start at script stage and somebody will sell me a script and certainly reading a script would tell me if I'm interested basically in a film or a TV thing. But if I ever try and write something just based on the script, it, it never works. It's hopeless <laughs> and it it's usually too complicated and it just doesn't it's a waste of time so it's only when I see something when I get the, the whole thing that what the cast looks like what the lighting's like what the pace of it is how the actors are that's when that's the sort of that's when I start to get a vision of how the music will work with the entirety yeah 
I agree totally. Uh, I mean, I'm very visually inspired. So if I am brought on early without before the uh, before the editing and seeing the visuals, it's it's hard to gauge the uh, the tone, the the pace of the editing, the tone of the editing, the look, the cinematography, the style of the acting. Everything has an influence, doesn't it, Anne? Um, Absolutely. On on your composition, and um, but what what is great is that if you are writing away from the visuals that can be very inspiring because your imagination is let run you you, you're totally free of constraints of the film and so that can inspire you to have lots of conversations with the director and the editor or the producer and come up with crazy ideas so to speak and then by the time it's a bit like throwing mud against the wall so when you do start editing and seeing the images hopefully some of those those crazy ideas even though they may get diluted down uh, when you see the images um, can help you form something that's distinct and fresh and unique Um, uh, because when you start writing to picture and to the film your ideas do get diluted because you're working within these parameters that are given to you Um, it's quite an interesting process personally I like the constraints I find the constraints themselves are part of the sort of inspiration process there's nothing I find more intimidating than the blank sheet yes yeah <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, I live in fear of the, the scariest moment for me on a project is the very beginning because yeah. I have uh, I have a blank sheet and I think, oh, my gosh, every time I start a film or a project, it's the same feeling of fear. I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I, I think, can assure I don't you know we how. all do. <laughs> I, yeah, I, literally yeah. every guest we ever have on Girls on Film suffers from imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, I, so I, you are not alone. Yeah, so I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And no. just putting, starting playing on the piano or the keyboard and just putting notes to the images, no matter, doesn't matter if they're wrong, at least you have something to work with. I guess it's like a sculpture's block of concrete or a or a, a block of clay that you then start chipping away at and yes, you've, you've got to make that first chip haven't yes you? <laughs> yes <laughs> i wanted to move on to um gender in in music and in com- composition and i wondered Nanita, what would you say the gender balance is like in your field currently? It's appalling <laughs> um uh, right. I mean, there are there are very i can't remember what the statistics are, but they are very, very low compared to um, the compared to men. Um, I mean, there there is a change in attitudes, and there are lots and lots of reasons. I don't know why. I mean, when I from personal experience, I can say that when I started, there were very, very few female composers I mean I think there were I could count them on one hand possibly I think there was you Anne um, Shirley Walker uh, Rachel Portman I think that was about that was about it I think and things have been changing over the last 15-20 years and um, it's refreshing to see um, a sea change in attitude actually, from the industry, particularly in the UK. Uh, what, what do you think, Anne? Um, 
Well, it's it's true what you say. There's not enough women in in this business, but there's certainly loads more than there was when I started. Um, when I was at college, I didn't study composition. Um, in fact, none of the I don't think any of the composition students were female at college. It just wasn't something that girls did. I, I don't know why. Uh, it's not something you need particular masculine attributes to be able to be a composer. Things are changing though and uh, whenever I give talks at colleges now it's probably at least 50-50. So I, I think we, we, have to, we have to accept that as in all creative industries things take a bit of time and we'll get there. Yeah, I think that the one thing that people miss is that music is genderless. Yeah, absolutely. You know, music doesn't music doesn't have a gender to it or a creed or a colour. And so, uh, and the funny thing is people like to put you in boxes with regards to genre or ethnicity or musical styles. And, and there are a lot of people who still feel that women are better suited to intimate feminine character-based films uh, and it's a cl it's the classic case of a bond movie uh, somebody asked me recently do you think that a bond movie will ever get scored by a female composer <laughs> and uh, because bond is the epitome of masculinity uh, up up until now i think up until phoebe waller bridge's input yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll see something fresh and uh, and and different there but music is a non-judgmental instinctive form of art isn't it it shouldn't have a gender attached to it and it should transcend all barriers and preconceived expectations so so i think with a bond movie for example which you traditionally associate with aggression masculinity action high octane music why shouldn't it be able to be written by a female composer because music is music um, of course and directed yes. by a woman and uh, you know and and in, in any number of crew positions and this is something we discuss on girls on film a lot and the same with us film critics so often we find ourselves asked to write about perceived chick flicks or romantic comedies rather than action yes. or sci-fi and it's the same thing you know we're all perfectly capable of, of you know crossing Absolutely. many different genres yep. um and when you when you started out did you feel that you experienced any direct sexism well the thing is the in this job you don't know about the jobs you don't get um so mm. uh I, I can't really say you know i'm sure there were jobs that and nobody would have thought of having a woman for her, so I never made any sort of shortlist for. I mean, I, I've been working in studios full of men for years and years and years, and it just isn't an issue. I mean, musicians, orchestras, they all play together, you know. Um, there is no difference between, you don't get, you, you, you get, you have women in the brass section, you have women in the string section, you have women in the percussion section, and nobody's taking any notice of gender at all. I think if you actually do your job and you prove yourself to be capable and um, you don't bullshit people, it's really not an issue. Well, you know, maybe I'm being a naive, it shouldn't be an issue. Do you think, I mean, we're saying that obviously music doesn't have a gender, but obviously there's a lot of talk about the female gaze on screen and the idea that female directors, in a positive sense, can bring a different perspective. Do you think that gender might positively influence, in some instances, the way a composer works? Well, I think generally, certainly based on the men that I know, women are more intuitive. And um, sometimes... Mm. I feel that I can read a person's mood 
much better than my husband can, <laughs> for example. Because, you know, we, we see the bigger picture, don't we? And, and we can interpret things uh, with a little bit more depth sometimes. So maybe when it comes to sort of finding the emotional depth of a drama, maybe women are actually better at it. Maybe they, they sort of understand yes. what's going on underneath yes. more than men do. Would you agree with that? Yes, Annie? I think so. I mean, ultimately, what what you're doing, you're you're taking the emotions and the characters' personalities that are being portrayed on screen. Whatever the story, you're you're a storyteller through music, and so you're taking those emotions and putting them into a genie bottle and and expressing it through music. And so women are incredibly capable of of expressing and understanding emotions and and being very sensitive to that to those aesthetics so um i think we are incredibly well placed to you know tell these musical stories irrespective of uh, of gender it's interesting to, we've talked about um, people that at schools that have worked brilliantly and are fantastically effective but are there certain traditions that are a bit too close to cliche for your liking in terms of film schools that that the not successful film schools kind of fall back on? Well, I'll tell you what annoys me intently is the sort of um, cliche, documentary, pizzicato strings. <laughs> if, if ever there's any scientific subject that is vaguely challenging... We have to lighten it up, don't we? We have to sort of make it very chirpy and cheerful. And it just drives me a bit mad. <laughs> I really, I agree with you. Uh, it's one of my bugbears as well. There are fashions and trends uh, within the world of television and uh, and film. And I think hopefully we've seen the back of that um, because I, I've had a lot of pushback on that from directors who say, we can't stand the plinky plonky music anymore. We want something I think people underestimate audiences as well. Yeah. Um, I think audiences are very underestimated by the execs and the suits uh, who commission programs and dramas. And, you know, it's it's refreshing to see really intelligent drama and films out there that, um, you know, so there, I mean, there, there is space for every genre. And I think in terms of periods like this, where we're living in isolation and Netflix's subscriptions have soared by, what, 16, mil 16 million people or something ridiculous. Um, there's a huge demand for every type of programming out there. Absolutely. And that, that's what we're, we're about, trying to point people towards that. Um, going back to the, the cliches, and is there any particularly related to gender? Because I've certainly noticed that flutes often play a part in signalling the entrance of a romantic female. <laughs> not, not, not when I'm doing it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Bravo. <laughs> Piano and strings is the one, isn't it? It's, a, it's another cliche, mm. isn't it? I, mm. I was on a jury for a big film music awards ceremony that I won't mention the name of and um, uh, I had to overdose on I think 80 television drama scores and at least 60 of them must have been scored with just piano and strings and I was wading my way through them thinking I can't take any more of this <laughs> you know? no. and and so uh, I think it, it's it, you know it's just piano and strings are ubiquitous but for a reason because when it's done with style and intelligence it can elevate 
um, score. It's so versatile. You know, the, the use of strings and pianos is such an emotive instrument, which is why it's such a classic fallback, uh, a default for composers. Any specific advice that you would give to young women looking to get into the industry? Watch film and TV and and study the use of music in those programs uh, and shows because see how it's making you feel because it's amazing the number of young composers or students that I come across who don't actually they're obsessed with music but they they don't surround themselves with actual watching the film and TV programs develop your communication skills and be used to working with a team of people uh, develop your people skills um, serving the director's vision and the film's needs and not serving your own creative ego so much uh, I think that's really important um, you know becoming an assistant to an established composer is a fantastic way of getting an insight into uh, what it's really like in the lion's den writing music all the time I write even if I haven't got a project to work on I I will write music every day Uh, just practice and practice and practice and keep yourself fresh and inspired every project is an opportunity for for me to learn something a new musical skill learn about a new instrument or a new uh, a musical culture or different styles of music you're just constantly learning I think the moment you become stagnant in your curiosity with music uh, and film is the moment that uh, you know I, I just think it's it's not good to stand still I like to sort of do learn new skills and new styles all the time thank you that will be very inspiring i'm sure that's a wonderful insight and is there anything you'd well, like to- i think they need to just summed it all up really perfect really everything that she said i completely concur well when people are at home at the moment and looking for something to watch um is there anything that you would recommend either of you um for them to watch where that has a tremendous score with the, and any particular moments where they should look out for how it's really working. Is this not our own music, but other things out there? You can you can have one of your <laughs> own, and you can have one of someone else's. It's entirely up to you. Well, <laughs> I, I was watching Devs last night, and I think the score, the use of music, is phenomenal. Um, it's 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 so fresh and different, and so effective. It uses saxophone and the human voice uh, and sound design in a way that's so integrated into the narrative of the drama and yet is very bold and distinctive. I think it's a a must watch. Um, I'm usually very late to the party on these things and I fairly recently caught up with Chernobyl, which was outstanding in every way, including the very, very interesting use of music and sound by Hilda Goodnadottir. Who just won the Oscar for Joker, yeah. Yes, which is also outstanding. And not at all, actually, the sort of film that um, that uh, would be clichéd uh, as, a, as a film that a woman would score, actually. So that's, um, that's a, good, a good marker for the future. Anne, is there anything else that you've got coming up that we should look yes, out I'm, for? Yes, I'm doing a TV drama and I'm doing a film musical but um, I'm probably not allowed to tell you what they are <laughs> because nowadays right, you, have, I see. You, have to, you have to sign these ridiculous non-disclosure agree- agreements. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to tell you what they are because they're great and I'm enjoying them terrifically, but um, 
time will tell. Well, we'll look out for it. You, you've both got very comprehensive websites, um, so people can head over there and see what yes, you're up to. Yes, it'll be on so, there when, yeah. when I'm allowed. <laughs> <laughs> when you're allowed. And Anita, are you working on um, games as well at um, the moment? Well, I've got a, the interactive feature film video game that I scored last year came out on the iPhone and Android, PlayStation 4 and uh, Nintendo and all these different gaming formats. But I've got a series out on um, Quibi at the moment. It's uh, this new mobile phone streaming platform which is a bit like Netflix but for mobile phones and everything is short form. Jeffrey Katzenberg of DreamWorks has set it up so there are lots of dramas, high-end, high-quality dramas and documentaries on there. So I've scored this uh, series called Fierce Queens which is a, a beautiful natural history unit uh, wildlife series um, made by the BBC um, about f- women, females in the animal kingdom. Uh, ah, so that's, that's quite fun. And um, so that's out at the moment. And I've got a series on Netflix coming out soon at some point called Bad Boy Billionaires, which is... Oh, yes, uh, heard of this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite that fun. sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, and I love the, the Fierce Queens. Sounds brilliant. I mean, we're, we're always... <laughs> one of my bugbears is how how often um, animals in, in movies are male, and, you know, the pet dog is male, <laughs> and, 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 and the, the female animals don't get enough of a look-in, so that sounds great. Indeed. <laughs> Actually, there, 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 is something I, I, there is something I can tell you about, which is finished and will be coming on ITV pretty soon and it's a drama called The Singapore Grip which is a J.G. Farrell novel set in Singapore just before the Japanese invade in the Second World War and that was made by Mammoth who also did Poldark and um, did Noughts and Crosses as well actually a very very good company and that was a very interesting challenge because obviously you've got the period setting you've got the geographical setting of Singapore being a real sort of melting pot of East and West. And, and uh, I enjoyed doing that. And that's six parts. So look out for that soon then. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, this, of course, this episode is in partnership with Scala Radio. And I know you both had lots of experience with Scala. Um, Nanita, what do you love about Scala? Oh, I just love the variety and the depth of the programming. Um, it's fresh and different and uh and of course mark kermode's film music show which is unique and uh original and i love listening to mark's uh dulcet tones it's such intelligent you know wide programming so saturday afternoons one o'clock i always make space for that perfect yeah, yeah. I think our listeners who found this interesting, they'll be really want to then turn and listen to a little bit, bit more depth from, from Mark on that. And Anne, you've had your own show, haven't you? On I have, actually. That was great fun. Um, I did a show on the Oscars that are featuring various music that had won and hadn't won Oscars. And then um, I was asked to put together some programmes just of my own favourite music. And it was such fun to sort of delve into my collection and reacquaint myself with things that I'd loved when I was younger and um, you know just I think what, what's wonderful about Scala is you will have terrific variety there they take film music very seriously they'll put John Williams next to Strauss they'll put Haydn next to Goldsmith you know it's fantastic so I mean that's how people listen to music nowadays there are no 
boundaries are there really just has to be good (laughs) and i'd just like to say that one thing that mark always does on his saturday afternoon film music show is that he always highlights he makes the invisible visible he always brings out new talent and uh, or composers that we've not heard of and particularly um, female composers which is which is quite refreshing as well definitely that's why we wanted to flag it up i totally agree with you and um, so bravo mark for doing that and bravo scala radio thank you both so much for joining girls on film today it's been such a pleasure to hear from you and really fascinating to hear more about your job thank you thank for you. having us thank you if you'd like to discover more about film scores, Mark Kermo's movie music show on Scala Radio always features a range of women composers, including music by my guests on this podcast. You can join Mark every Saturday between one and three, and you can listen back for seven days after broadcast via scalaradio.co.uk and the free to download Scala Radio app. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film and thanks to Hedda Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, Jenny Nelson for producing, our intern Heather Dempsey, and to Scala Radio. Girls on Film has a Patreon page where you can pledge a small amount each month to support us. We want to stay free, but we need your support. All patrons get three free months of streaming on the service Mubi, which is worth around 25 quid. So go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. Thanks to those who've subscribed so far. It makes a big difference. You can follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram on girlsonfilm underscore podcast. And do please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode. And finally, a big thanks to Nanita Desai and Anne Dudley for joining us on our latest Girls on Film isolation pod in partnership with Scala Radio. Stay safe, everyone. I grew up around music. It's my whole world.